Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, Winnipeg's Exchange District is a hotbed of creativity, art, and culture. We'll be joined by Tom Sparling of ACI Manitoba to tell us about their work in the district, as well as a survey that you can take to have your say. Then we'll speak with Genevieve Pelletier, Artistic Director of Theatre Cirque Molière, to learn about its new production, Nana Bush and the Drum, and how it's breaking new ground for the local theatre company. We'll also speak with an Emerging Leaders Fellowship grant recipient, Naomi Gachungu, about her work with IRCOM, the Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization of Manitoba, on an Indigenous Newcomer Relations Program. Then Shakespeare in the Ruins is about to launch its production of Romeo and Juliet. We'll speak with Andrew Seacon, Artistic Director of Shakespeare in the Ruins, to learn all about it. And as always, Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons will join us to tell us all about this week in Winnipeg through the lens of CNC. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello, thank you for tuning in to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Happy Thursday, Robert. How are you feeling this fine summer? Is it officially summer? What's the first day of summer, actually? I don't even know that. I think it's actually toward the end of June. After, oh, geez. So we got a long, more, a lot more spring to deal with first. Then, but right? I'll take a spring that feels like summer. It's pretty. It's been pretty nice. So I mean, we've had a couple rainy days. Yesterday was gorgeous. So uh, hopefully that weather can stick with us all the way through this weekend. How was your long weekend? Did you have a good uh, May long? It was a it was a good weekend, yeah. yeah. How about you? Uh, also pretty good. A couple friends came in from out of town. My mom was in town, went out for a nice dinner. So all in all, pretty positive May long. It's always a good time to kind of just have an extra Monday off where you can just relax and recuperate and all of the R words that I can think of. And speaking of R words, we've got a really great show this week, <laughs> well I would done. say. Well, well done. We're going to be speaking with Tom Sparling of ACI Manitoba. That's the Arts and Cultural Industries Association of Manitoba. And we'll be talking about a survey that they have going on right now to talk about the Exchange District and the arts and culture sector here in the province. And they're hoping they can get a lot of input from the community. So we'll learn a little bit more about that. We've got a full show for you this week, some great theatrical productions that are uh, just over the horizon uh, that you'll be able to check out in the month of June. So we can't wait to tell you about those. But before we get to all of that, we're going to start things off as we normally do, which is with a song. So how about Love, Wonderful Love? It's Howard Keel right here on River City 360. You hear a drum, it starts to pound. You look around and you're off of the ground. That's love, wonderful love. And all at once you're hearing violins, they're playing sweet. The people clap while you dance in the street. That's love, wonderful love. Then she smiles a smile, a laughing thing. It makes your heart go a ring, a ding ding. That's love, wonderful love. You got the thing. That all Parisians claim 
is theirs to box and bottle and frame to sum it up. My friend, you're the victim of You're the victim of that wonderful thing called love The lightning strikes, the heavens roar You're being sent and she tells you what for That's love Wonderful love The seasons used to have such pretty names like spring and fall. But when there ain't any seasons at all, that's love. Wonderful love. Six feet four, a normal size. And now you duck all the planes in the skies. That's love. Wonderful love I know the Latins claim it's theirs alone What's theirs is theirs What's mine is my own You've just been floored, my friend, by the scented glove You're the victim of that wonderful thing called Hello and thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today and we're now joined in studio by Tom Sparling. He's the Executive Director of ACI Manitoba. Thank you for joining us today, Tom. Thanks, Nolan. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk a little bit about a pretty cool survey that you guys have putting out that's uh, that's going on from now until I think tomorrow might be the last day. So we'll talk about that a little later. But before we get into that, let's talk about what ACI is and does and sort of your role here in Winnipeg. So what's the main goal of ACI? Well, ACI, the ACI stands for Arts and Cultural Industries or Creative Industries. And so we're an agency that supports the arts and creative industries. So we provide business skills training. We do mentorship programming. We have business coaching. We essentially provide the tools and the services that are required to, to run and, and establish and run a creative sector business, whether it's a for-profit, not-for-profit. So we work with everything from artisanal blacksmiths all the way up to the symphony and the ballet in terms of the, the kinds of programming that we run. What do you think? What, what's it like trying to make a living or trying to sort of uh, use arts as, as your main source of income in Winnipeg? I, it's a difficult one, um, but it, it can be done. And really, Winnipeg as a market for creative goods and services is, is quite small. So you need to have an export plan. You need to get out on the road. You need to find audiences. And the advent of the Internet has really brought the world to us. So we are a real critical part of a global marketplace. And uh, Winnipeg is an amazing place to create art and creative activity. So whether it's video game, VR development, uh, I've been talking to somebody about some really cool augmented reality stuff, all the way to, as I said, uh, you know, uh, artisanal blacksmithing and, and pottery and the traditional things that you think of as music, film, dance, theater, visual art, etc. So all of those, uh, there's audiences, the internet has turned the business model of the arts on its head, but it's created all sorts of opportunity at the same time. 
Why do you think the exchange is such a become a hotbed for these creative uh, spaces for people? Well, I started having creative spaces. I ran a record label in the 1980s, and I had a, a space in a building. I noticed 52 Albert Street. It's for sale, and we had a we had a space in the back, and I did my office work in the daytime, and at night the bands would come in and rehearse there. And it was cheap. It was gritty. And and the artists just sort of started to flock to the district. And art space in the 1980s was a real anchor for the arts in that in that facility in that specific in in that part of the city that neighborhood. Having the large arts across Main Street helps as well. But I think it's like anywhere in the world. You go into a post-industrial kind of setting where there's abandoned spaces, and the landlords are looking for having anybody who's going to pay some kind of rent to come in and be part of that. And, and so the Exchange District has grown. Part of the, the survey and the work that we're doing on the creative cluster strategy is recognizing that the district is growing, the values, the prices are, are increasing, there's a lot more uh, condos, so there's a lot of pressure to not have bands rehearsing. Used to be you could walk through the Exchange District on any given night and you'd hear a dozen bands right. in different buildings, some buildings having two or three bands in each. And the, the, the Royal Albert was hopping, and the St. Charles had Wellingtons in the basement, and it was hopping, and, and Chopin's Cafe, where the, the Legion is, was hopping. So there was all sorts of activity and stuff. So how do we kind of anchor and grow that in spite of the fact that, you know, the restaurants are, are popping up, and there's year-over-year year growth of, of, of retail and, and restaurants, and there's more and more people living in the area? It's something called the Soho effect, which was first noticed in, in Soho in New York, where the artists all moved into this grungy, abandoned industrial space and started to clean it up. And all of a sudden, the doctors and the lawyers and the financial planners all thought, wow, that's really cool. It's I want to go down and live, live in the hip place. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, the artists all started to move out. And so Soho was the first place that it was documented. And we're really seeing that in the Exchange yeah. District right now. So we've been doing some research into... The number of artists, the amount of money that artists are paying, the issue between, you know, who wants to be in these heritage buildings and how much does it cost to renovate right. them and, 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 and sort of looking at all of that. When you're seeing trends, you've, you've seen sort of Winnipeg grow from the 80s and up till now. Do you like where the trend is heading for the exchange or what are, what are you hoping that, uh, that that area of the city turns into or becomes? Well, I would love to see it stay a creative hub. I would love to see it have art studios, have recording facilities, rehearsal facilities for music, performance spaces for theater, dance, music. Uh, I would love to see it house the, you know, the, the business community because you get a lot of collision ability. You get people walking up and down the streets and talking to each other, and it's really cool that Innovation Alley is there and Red River is there. So we sort of see the creative cluster strategy as having three pillars, Red River and the students, the um, Innovation Alley and the tech startups and the arts right and and that makes a really solid stool and what we're seeing right now is is that the the investment into the arts the facilities within the exchange district are problematic and 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 not where we'd like to see mm -hmm. them uh, and it's 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 investment uh, with a great return right because if I can project where we're going to be 30 years from now the creative jobs are going to be the ones that stay mm -hmm. because the jobs that require a human brain to operate are the jobs of the future. Right. And so the creative jobs are the future. And so if we're talking about the future of the province, having a really healthy arts community within the Exchange District and other hubs, because there, there's arts activity <clears throat> all across this province, 
but the exchange district is the most densely populated yeah. kind of cluster, if you will. Yeah, that's interesting to think about when all the all the fabrication jobs and things are going the way of automation. Now, you know, it's I mean, I've I've heard of uh algorithms that are writing songs and scripts and stuff, but it's never going to replace the human element of creativity. No, no. And creativity stretches. It's, it's what adds aesthetic value to something. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a song or whether it's a piece of furniture or whether it's a painting or a building, those kinds of things, we're always going to be in demand. Yeah, absolutely. It's always going to be a demand for those kinds of services. So what are you aiming to learn from this inclusion survey of Winnipeg's exchange district here? Well, one of the things that we've been doing is, is trying to understand who is still in the exchange district and start to map it out and see where things are. Are there micro clusters within the clusters under, you know, different discipline type? And along the way, we started to realize that these heritage buildings have issues of accessibility. We're also seeing a, di a dynamic demographic change in Manitoba with, with newcomers. You know, there's a lot of new Canadians and there's so th there's people with with uh, physical disabilities um, or differently abled. There's new Canadians. There's women. There's uh, we work a lot with deaf artists and mm. there's indigenous as well. So we started to say, well, are these people in the exchange district? Are they accessing art to consume? Are they accessing services to create art? And we know there's artists. We we. You know, I was talking to the woman who runs the Red River College um, English as a Second Language program. Okay. And she said so many of the artists, so many of the, the students self-identified as artists that they actually held an art show. Hmm. And it's really good art. And right. there's great backstory. And, oh, and for so sure. if we want to teach them, you know, how to write a business plan or access services that are available from different government agencies, yeah. they, you know, we need to work with them, make them aware that these exist and then help them with their English language skills or maybe find translators in the way that when we work with, with deaf artists, we bring in ASL American Sign Language artists to translate and work with the deaf artists. Uh, so we just wanted to sort of find out are these, you know, is there, is the exchange district an inclusive place or not? And right. if it's not, which my suspicion is, what do we need to do to make it more inclusive and more re reflective of our population? Very interesting. I took the survey this morning. It doesn't take too long, maybe five, five minutes, depending on how sort of in-depth you want to make your answers. So how can people find this survey and what sorts of things are they going to answer on the survey? Uh, if you go to our website, creativemanitoba.ca, and um, you can you can look on the link uh, look look yeah it's right at the top of the page there yeah. so so there's a, a little a little paragraph in a box and, and just click on the link and go through it yeah so creativemanitoba.ca you can take the inclusion survey uh, they're just hoping to answer a few questions about the exchange district and about creativity uh, within it uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about ACI Manitoba or creativity here in Winnipeg uh, Next week is First Friday, June 2nd, and everybody should go down to the exchange and check that out. First Fridays be, is great. The, especially the June First Fridays is probably the most exciting First Friday just because the weather's so yeah, nice exactly. and everybody wants to get out, and it's sort of pre-summer, summer. So June 2nd. First Friday. Fridays in the exchange. It's a great time. You can check out, meet new people, find out interesting things happening in the exchange, and uh, just sort of get out and about here in Winnipeg. Tom Sparling, thank you for so much for talking to us. Well, thank you very much, Nolan. We appreciate it. Take All care. Right. Take care. You too. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up after the break, Geneviève Pelletier, Artistic Director of Théâtre Self-Molière, will join us to tell us all about Nana Bush and the Drum, which premieres Wednesday, June 7th. But before we get to that, here's Lionel Hampton with Drum Stomp. 
Crazy Rhythm, right here on River City 360. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you, and I'm now joined by a very special guest, Geneviève Pelletier. She is the director of Cirque Molière's production of Nanabush and the Drum. Geneviève, thank you so much for joining me this morning. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. First of all, tell us a little bit about the play Nanabush and the Drum. What is it about? What can people expect to see? So this is a collaboration, a first collaboration bet- between Théâtre Sarc-Molière, so Sarc-Molière Theatre, and the Manitoba Chamber Orchestra. So, and it's a brand new piece. So we've been working on this for the last three years. And a few things that we wanted to incorporate in this is uh, we wanted to have really, really a, a North American story. So we asked an author, a local author or a local playwright, I should say, to pen this play. And we also asked an, I think, internationally renowned composer, Michael Osterley, to sign the music. So 
Uh, from there on, we decided to build something that had not only North American characters, but would put forth characters that are very much into our, in our imagination right now, which are First Nations characters. Being of Métis descent, it was uh, really important for me to delve into that uh, history and that type of uh, myth, I, I won't say mythology, but almost, almost a mythology. So we, we did a fictional piece, uh, set it to music. People can expect a bilingual piece, which is a first. We, uh, we're really hoping that the way that Réa, the uh, playwright, signed the piece so that people who either only spoke French or only spoke English were able to understand and comprehend the full piece. So there's a lot of various things to take into account for this piece. So there's music, there's acting, there's storytelling, there's a French and English component, and the Cirque Molière is is performing where the chamber orchestra usually performs, which is at the Westminster Church in uh, Wolseley. So very cool, super interesting project. We've never done on either side of this, <laughs> never done this type of thing. So there's, a, there's you know, risk components to it. But at the same time, it's been such a beautiful journey. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how the public will interact with the piece, react to the piece. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing what people will have to say about the piece. Very cool. So is the format of the play that of a musical, would you say? or No, because it's not necessarily sung. So it's basically tailored around something called kind of the inspiration of the piece was a Stravinsky soldier's tale and the Stravinsky soldier's tale sometimes has a narration and then music interspersed within that and then there's long pieces of music what we wanted to do with this piece is have sort of a more of a meld of the the music and the text I think it's more for me it feels more like a storytelling piece and then there's music that comes into it once in a while. I don't know if you remember there was a piece where you kind of had the melding of music, classical music and then like text. Like Peter and the Wolf? Exactly. And so that that's how it kind of feels but okay. slightly less for children. It's it's really a piece a storytelling piece, a love story for all ages, basically. And you mentioned this is sort of a first, like it's breaking new ground in a lot of areas for Cirque Molière. Is this the first time that Cirque Molière and the Chamber Orchestra have come together to work on a piece? It is. It's the first time. And it, it's been an interesting process because it's been three years now that we've, we've been working on this piece. The Chamber Orchestra came to us with an idea and we built on it uh, as we moved along. And... Uh, yeah, we'll be looking forward to seeing how that all comes together. Was the play written first and then the music developed afterward? Yeah, so it was interesting. We got a beautiful grant from the Winnipeg Foundation uh, to do two workshops. So we did one workshop around the words, the, the, the text itself, what the playwright had done, and the composer was in the room and toyed with certain ideas at that point, but then Réal sort of finalized the piece at that point. And then in November, we were lucky enough to do another workshop. The music was basically put forth at this point, and we were able to test how the text and the music melded together. So that was crucial to the process of putting this piece together. Now, in the framework of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, why was it important for Sarnelière to produce a play that incorporated an indigenous cultural element? I think for us, well, for me personally, being of Métis descent, it was important. And, and for Réal, Réal is uh, the playwright, and he... Uh, 
not Métis himself, but he's married to a Métis woman, and his children are very much ingrained in the discovery of who we are, the identity. Francophone Métis have been, let's say we've been sort of amalgamated with the Francophone community and, and sort of melded, and, and there's a, an appropriation, a reappropriation of who we are within that framework, I feel, that uh, is, is coming forth now. It's sort of this movement, this youth movement, this young movement that's really, really exciting. In exploring who we are, I think the idea is to go back to our roots, try and figure out where we come from, um, because we've lost a bit of that, and we've lost a bit of the teaching, so there's a lot of that going on right now. But I think it's also a fact that living in Winnipeg, this being the biggest urban native population, I think it's really important for us to to come together and and so we've gone through the process of having collaborators from the Indigenous First Nations community to help us write the project. Uh, we had an elder follow us. I've been very lucky because I have many projects right now that are involving First Nations and Métis people and been able to work with uh, playwrights like Yvette Nolan and Kenneth T. Williams who are uh, very much imminent in their own fields and being able to talk and discuss this whole project with them has been extremely enriching for me and for the theater in in general and it just feels like it's a natural fit it feels like we have this long history of working together and i think that's just something that that goes in the movement of what's going on right now today so the production is taking place the weekend of june 7th and june 8th exactly so we have two school matinees that day those two days and then in the evening at 7:30 both nights at the westminster church if people want to get tickets or learn more about Nana Bush and the Drum, where can they go to get more information? For sure. You can go to the Théâtre Sacmalia website or call our phone number as 204-233-8053 or there's always tickets as well at the Manitoba Chamber Orchestra box office. All right. Genevieve, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, we're going to learn about a young woman who's working with Earcom to help improve Indigenous newcomer relations with a new program from the Winnipeg Foundation's Emerging Emerging Leaders Fellowship Program. But first, Roberta Flack and the first time I ever saw your face right here on River City 360. Kissed your 
Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Robert here with you in studio with Naomi Gachungu. She is a participant in the Winnipeg Foundation's Emerging Leaders Fellowship, and she's working with IRCOM, the Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization of Manitoba, on an Indigenous Newcomer Relations Program. Naomi, thank you for joining me today. Nice, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So first of all, tell us a little bit about the program. What exactly are you looking to do through this program? I came to Winnipeg as a newcomer, so I've been here for about three years. And uh, I went to school at the University of Winnipeg, and I did a master's uh, in development practice, particularly in Indigenous development. And just being a newcomer and being here and learning about Indigenous peoples here, I was motivated to work with Aircom to uh, do a project on enhancing learning about Indigenous peoples with adults at Aircom. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to conduct some workshops. And so we'll be working with an elder. So we're working on developing a curriculum together. And then we will be facilitating some workshops on different topics about Indigenous peoples here. And then after that, we'll go into the community. We'll go into a session with Meet Me at the Bell Tower at Meet Me at the Bell Tower. And we will get to meet different people in the community. So Meet Me at the Bell Tower is a community gathering. And there's always Indigenous peoples. There's also newcomers from different parts of the city as well. 
And so we'll be coming together and sort of sharing learning between newcomers and indigenous peoples together. Why was the scope of this project something that you felt was really important to pursue for the Emerging Leaders Fellowship? When I initially came to Winnipeg, I was part of an exchange program and we were at a camp and we had indigenous peoples come and do a dance. And I remember asking my counterpart at the time what the dance was about. And she sort of brushed it off and said, you know, it wasn't important. You're probably not going to enjoy it. But, you know, just sit still and sort of enjoy the music or something like that. So for me, it was really brushed off. And so uh, just having that experience and like seeing very many newcomers coming into Winnipeg, into Winnipeg and getting all these stereotypes about Indigenous peoples because I work with newcomers currently and so that is what motivated me to want to create more awareness within newcomers and particularly adults in this case. So currently we are in the initial steps and so what we are doing currently is we are meeting with the elder, uh, we are sort of developing the curriculum at this point uh, we've had uh, ma- meetings as well with IRCOM, and that is to sort of find a good fit for, for the program because we are recruiting 35 adults. And so we hope that uh, we can maybe match this with our English program where the newcomers are learning English, but also pull in aspects of the workshops into those sessions where they can sort of practice their English while they're still learning about Indigenous peoples here in Winnipeg. What might some of the workshops cover in terms of specific topics? These topics are going to be sort of uh, just be brushed on the surface, I will say. But generally, we're going to be touching on issues like residential school, because in my opinion, and also from the experience of the elder, most newcomers, when they come to Winnipeg, they do not have a good understanding of the history of Indigenous peoples. And so we're going to tackle issues of, for example, like learning about residential schools, and then thereafter learning about treaties, and then thereafter we'll sort of talk about issues or stereotypes that uh, newcomers have learned and what they would like to unlearn, or like what we would like for them to unlearn at this point. And then after that, we'll be having a conversation on reconciliation. And then when we go into the community, we'll have a lot of conversations about how partnerships can be formed between newcomers and indigenous peoples. That's excellent. And so if people are interested in learning more about the Indigenous Newcomer Relations Program and the work that IRCOM is doing, where can they go to get more information? We would encourage uh, you to even visit IRCOM. It's always open to people coming and learning about the different programs. IRCOM has a new building, so it's uh, IRCOM Isabel. And so they're always even conducting tours of the new building and so that people get to learn more about newcomers. And so this program will actually be also in in the new building. And you can always come to IRCOM if you want to learn about the program. Excellent. Naomi, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Robert. And thanks again, Naomi, for telling us about that wonderful project. Coming up next, we're going to be speaking with Andrew Seacon, Artistic Director of Shakespeare in the Ruins, to learn about their upcoming production of Romeo and Juliet, which opens June 1st through the 24th. But first, here's Shanana with Just Like Romeo and Juliet, right here on RC360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you in studio, and I am now joined by Andrew Sikon. He is the Artistic Director of Shakespeare in the Ruins. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me this well, thanks morning. Thanks for having me, Robert. So first of all, tell us a little bit about Shakespeare in the Ruins. It's a theatre company here in Winnipeg that performs the plays of Shakespeare, but tell us what exactly does that entail? What are the ruins? The ruins are the ruins of the Trappist Monastery that are out in St. Norbert at St. Norbert Provincial, uh, I think it's actually the Trappist Monastery Provincial Heritage Park in St. Norbert. (laughs) And so that's where we perform our spring productions, and yes, they are Shakespeare, but we like to think of it as immersive Shakespeare, and so we like to, to to give people an entirely brand new experience, something that they've never experienced before. And something uh, that, although the language and the stories are 400 years old, it's it's something that they'll be able to relate to uh, in a modern sense and in a unique sense. What is it about the stories of Shakespeare specifically that captivates people so much? How have these stories been able to endure for so long? Sure. Well, I think more than anyone else, uh, Shakespeare is able to capture the human condition. So what it means to be human, and that's something that that hasn't changed over thousands and thousands of years. Um, And so that's what we can relate to when we go and see his shows. And now there, of course, there is this elevated language that some people sometimes think of as a barrier to understanding or enjoying the shows. However, uh, I actually feel like it's an, it's an extra way in. Um, And, and if you accept that, it will actually kind of highlights the human condition even more. And so you can, you can fall in love with it even more. But he speaks, he speaks thematically about so many things. Yeah, everything that's still affecting us today, he wrote about 400 years ago, uh, even though he might have been writing about situations that had occurred even a thousand years previously. Give us some examples. What are some of the topics that are mentioned in Shakespearean plays? I mean, a couple of years ago, we, we did Antony and Cleopatra, which is a, essentially comes is a story of imperialism. And so we set it in pre-colonial Manitoba and told a story that was relatable to our viewers, whereas we set the Egyptians, which is the story of Antony and Cleopatra, we set the Egyptians, uh, we're, in, we're Indigenous actors, and all of our Romans were essentially European fur traders in the storytelling. And so those themes still, like, they, they travel forward. Last year we did Richard III, and, I mean, there's themes of vengeance in that play and revenge against your family. Oh, so many. <laughs> this year we're doing Romeo and Juliet. Right there it's love, it's impulsive action. Oh, I mean, there's so many. Again, death of families not relating. If you want to, yeah, if you could boil them all down to it, it's just these interactions between people. Romeo and Juliet is your upcoming production that's happening uh, throughout the month of June. Tell us a little bit about that production, how that's coming together. Well, we're, we're excited for this production. The production, the shows will start June the 2nd and run till run till the end of the month, every evening. And we have a, a wonderful director, Heidi Melesdrovich, who's a, a, young, a young woman, up-and-coming director. And I have great faith that the show's going to be wonderful. And, of course, it is out at the ruins. Um, if you come out and see the show, it'll be set in a modern Verona, Manitoba, which is, you know, an imaginary place uh, here in our great province set over three hot and steamy days uh, somewhere in the summertime uh, and you'll actually become part of the action. You'll be sitting right in there with the rest of us moving around the park with, with all of the actors and, and, uh, and taking part in the story of these two 
young lovers. Very cool. So what is it about the setting of the ruins that makes it so special as a place to perform? Well, that park is amazing. I mean, I always like to tell people that the ruins is our million dollar set that we use for free because it is. It's an amazing ruins, but the land itself is pretty amazing. I feel like it's a very, very special place out there. There's some kind of spiritual aspect to it, regardless of why you're there. Uh, it's, It's kind of interesting. Um, I heard I heard tell that it was a meeting place for the indigenous people of this land before white people came. And then, of course, the Trappists moved in there and built this monastery. And then they left. But I feel like there's somehow, I, I don't know, the prayers of all those thousands and thousands and thousands of people have stayed and, and just made that land a beautiful place to be on. I've I found sometimes being out there that it can be pouring in the city, mm. pouring rain thunderstorming and you drive out and as soon as you hit that park there's a clear spot blue sky above you and everything is at peace we also move around through this park with our shows so you're not just sitting stagnant watching a play you're moving from location to location with the actors um, which essentially makes you a part of the action oh cool yeah it's not just sitting down and watching a show it's actually moving with the show to a new setting and a new location and a new seeing a new act and being more part of it that's correct yeah you get to you get to change yeah change locations uh with the story change your seats i was speaking to somebody the other day who said one of their favorite things was that sometimes they got to be in the front row and sometimes they ended up in the back row and sometimes they ended up in somewhere in the middle and off to the left and somewhere off to the right all within you know the first half an hour of the show. (laughs) With the adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, you mentioned that the setting is sort of a Verona, Manitoba. What is the balance between adapting it in the modern setting versus staying faithful to the original? Oh, well, there's not much of a balance, actually. That's, again, why one of the great things about Shakespeare, we don't change his text in order to do these adaptations. And because he writes more than anything about human nature, And like I said a little bit earlier, that hasn't changed. Uh, Really, all that we do in order to update a show is change the costumes. And that does a whole lot. I mean, change the costumes and add some some modern props. So instead of fights with rapiers, you know, maybe there will be knives or clubs, which is maybe what, what you would see on the streets here rather than, you know, a three foot long epee. But other than that, we don't touch the language because his language his language crosses time. And the same with the story. You don't have to do anything to the story itself in order to update it. That's what's so great about, about his work. Come and see it. If you've come and seen our shows before, we appreciate it. And we would love to have you back. And if you've never been out to the park and seen one of our shows, come on out. I guarantee you'll have a good time. Within the company, we like to call our audience members Warriors for Art because the experience that you'll have with us is pretty unique. You'll be outside, you'll be watching this production. Some days you might have to battle mosquitoes. Some days <laughs> you might have to battle a thunderstorm. Some days you might have to battle the hot, hot sun. So you never know what you're going to have, but it's always going to be an amazing and exciting and fun time. That's excellent. So Romeo and Juliet, the performances are happening from June 1st to the 24th, and you can get tickets through Shakespeare in the Ruins at shakespeareintheruins.com. Andrew, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you, Robert. 
Thanks, Robert. And thanks again, Andrew, for speaking with speaking with us today. Up next, Noah Ehrenberg is on his way into the studio to tell us about Community News Commons and the citizen journalists telling the stories that the mainstream media don't often cover. But first, here's Petula Clark with This Is My Song right here on RC360. Is my heart so light? Why are the stars so bright? Why is the sky so blue since the hour I met you? Flowers are smiling bright, smiling for our delight, smiling so tender. You and me, I know why the world is smiling, smiling so tenderly. It hears the same old story through all eternity. River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined in studio by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons. Noah, thank you for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. So every time, almost every week, we have you on the show to tell us, uh, us about Winnipeg through a different lens. It's through a lens that maybe the mainstream media might not cover because it's it's the lens of citizen journalists telling the stories that are important to their communities. So what stories are being published on Community News Commons 
today? Well, on communitynewscommons.org, there is a terrific story by Shirley Kowalchuk, who has uh, reported on a number of stories in the past for Community News Commons. And this one is about an amazing archival collection that she came across that is called the Dennis Carter Collection. And um, she was in touch with Susan Algy from the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. And Susan uh, was telling her about uh, a a box that came to their office from Sheila Carter, um, who is the daughter of the architect Dennis Carter and Dennis was a architect back in the 60s and 70s and 80s in Winnipeg and this box had uh, a whole bunch of film a whole bunch of uh, archive material photos Uh, it was basically um, 12 boxes of materials given to the foundation and there was about a hundred reels of eight millimeter film that uh, basically captured the Winnipeg of the 1960s and the resurgence of all of this amazing architectural design that happened uh, with the building of the Richardson Building, uh, the Monarch Life Building, uh, a whole bunch of other structures in Winnipeg that came to life at that time. That um, uh, there was a, there was a real renaissance in Winnipeg at the time, and the the uh, dean of the University of Manitoba Department of Architecture uh, back then. Uh, his name was uh, Dean uh, John Russell, and uh, he was kind of famous because of his background and also because he was kind of putting Winnipeg on the map when it came to uh, architectural, you know, avant-garde movements. And so um, this whole time period uh, was a real interesting time period that is captured in this Dennis Carter collection. And so Shirley writes a really interesting piece. She, she's got a lot of sort of frame captures from the um, from the archival material, and she has a really interesting story about how this came to be and what it shows and uh, the the pictures really bring it to life and the writing that Shirley does really really brings it to life. Shirley's a bit of a history buff and uh, she's written a number of articles about history here in Winnipeg uh, for communitynewscommons.org. So I would suggest checking that one out. It's called Amazing Architectural Archive Comes Alive. That's one of the coolest things in my opinion about this project is that you really don't know what you're going to get every time you log on. So you wake up in the morning, you go to communitynewscommons.org and you and you you're surprised at what types of different stories and the sort of wide range of things that people can be potentially writing about that you know you just maybe stumble upon someday and and it could really enrich your life about something that you might be even passionate about like 60s architecture or whatever it may be i know and there's a there's dozens of citizen reporters out there that are you know looking and listening to all these different things happening in their community and then they're writing stories about it like ann ha wrote a story about a new uh, mural downtown on an apartment block in central park that um, it was done by a local artist. He, he was chosen by Stu- Studio Central, as, um, or at least his work was. There was a competition. And this beautiful work of art that you can see on communitynewscommons.org, it's called Hope. And um, the artist, his name is uh, Gabriel Bangura. Uh, we've uh, actually, we did a, uh, another story about him a couple years ago on Community News Commons with his art being displayed at the Seven Oaks uh, General Hospital uh, in Winnipeg. But this piece of uh, work that, uh, that uh, the artist has done is now hanging on the side of a apartment block in uh, right across from Central Park and there's a beautiful picture of it and, um, and, and great comments from the artist about what it's supposed to uh, represent and uh, really it's it's all about uh, unity it's about um, uh, it's about diversity it's about a sense of inclusion to all people and he explains how his art uh, uh, reflects that and how that is uh, you know beautifying the core and bringing the neighbors together 
architecture, arts and culture, yeah. diversity, <laughs> inclusion, all of the above on Community News Commons. That's great to hear. So now at the end of our time together, uh, we ask you to bring us a song because uh, there's a lot of homegrown talent here in Manitoba that maybe our listeners haven't heard before. So what have you got for us this week? Well, this week I have something that our listeners probably haven't uh, heard because there isn't a lot of this type of music that is played on uh, on our radio station here. But I thought... Just for a change, let's uh, give the listeners a chance to um, hear something different. The name of the group is called Ghost Twin. Uh, they're synthopop, I guess. They're, they are a duo, and um, they, had a, they just had a hometown release party for their brand new recording. It's called Plastic Heart. And um, they, um, their new music is really getting a lot of attention from uh, major, m- many sources across the country. A lot of people like this music. They're, they're known for their sort of pulsing sounds and their audio-visual performances. So it's great to see them live. Um, they are hitting the road for the next uh, f- um, few weeks, but they will be returning to Winnipeg uh, to headline Pride Festival uh, at the Forks on June the 3rd. So you can catch them live there, and I would highly recommend that you do that. So this is is Ghost Twin with their tune, Not Our Time, on River City 360 with Nolan Bicknell and Robert Zirk on 93.7 CJNU. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us this afternoon. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do all of that on our website. Just visit rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360. Views and news from around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we always love getting listener feedback, so please give us a call. We would love to hear from you. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a comment about the show, request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well by searching at RiverCity360 on the Twitter application and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Thursday and a great weekend. Judy.